Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Before you get into this episode, here's where you can see me on tour. Los Angeles, June 25th, a live podcast taping in Hollywood of Having Funlessness. Minneapolis, doing stand-up comedy, August 10th. Nashville, August 15th. Birmingham, Alabama, August 16th. Athens, Georgia, August 17th. Brooklyn, September 11th. Boston, September 13th, soon to come, Del Mar, Toronto, and London, jenkirkman.com, right on that homepage, is where you can join my newsletter for more information or buy tickets right now. See you out there. Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 287, I call this one, Mysteries. Oh, that royalty-free music. Pretty cool, huh? What atmosphere. All right, that's quite a, a fuck enough of that. This week, I'm going to be talking to you about why I'm so happy everyone's pissed at Game of Thrones. More and more Navy pilots are coming out and saying, there are UFOs, motherfuckers. I have an article about that. A disagreement I had with a friend who says that you have, if you believe in ghosts, you can't be an atheist. And my talking about my embracing of everything. And I have a resentment at Dax Shepard. And, and how does that fit into mysteries? That will be That will be the feat I will try to accomplish in this week's episode. Let's get going. I am so glad. Oh, this episode is brought to you by Talkspace and Billy's Razors. We will get to what they have to say later. Folks. Folks. What am I? Folks. Folks. What am I, running for president in uh, Idaho? Folks. Every candidate has a different accent, no matter what, whatever state they're going to. I, folks, Elizabeth Warren just 
full on sounds like Sarah Palin sometimes. I said, folks, I'd, we got to do something about these big banks. And she's somewhere else. She's like, I think blah, blah. She sounds like JFK. Um, <clears throat> this is the, this is what you came here for. Hard hitting political commentary that may or may not be true with accents that aren't good. Listen to me. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I don't like it. Do I think it's a bad show? No. Do I think the writing's bad? No. Do I think the acting's bad? No. Do I think the filming is bad? The cinematography, the DP? No. It's just not for me. And when something's not for me, just like you guys know when something's not for you, and people try to tell you you're wrong. Look, I know I'm wrong. If it's subjective, I'm wrong. I'm bad. I don't like a good show. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But it doesn't interest me. Listen, you would think I would like it because that guy's coat is unreal. But you got to Listen, if I'm going to come to something with swords and horses and medieval or... Listen, I've never been into any of that stuff. If I come to it, it's going to be... Like when a cat dies under a porch, they just go, oh, I've caught a little bit of the something. Cats talk like that. They talk British, but without the accent. Oh, it seems I've caught a little bit of the something, didn't I? Well, this is the end of my life, isn't it? Isn't it? That's how I'm going to come to watching such and such shows or films with swords and horses and hobbits and things that don't exist. I'm going to do it alone. And you may never know about it. But it will not be because someone screamed at me and told me, I don't understand story. How can I be a TV writer if I don't like this show? It's just not my cup of tea. Now, what I love about it is that it never dawned on me when I was getting shamed by Game of Thrones watchers. It, I never thought to think, wait, you're like shaming me over a TV show that is in the middle of its series. I mean, you might not always be this loyal to it. It's not like it's a completed movie that you, you know, it had its beginning, middle, and end, and you can completely vouch for it because you have seen the whole thing. It didn't dawn on me that I would have my comeuppance. Now, how am I having a comeuppance? I'm not. It's not public. It's all just in my head. When I sit there and I'm in line at CVS and there's 50 cash registers and one cashier, and part of her job is just screaming at whoever walks in, let us know if you can find anything. How's your day going so far? I'm like, just keep doing your thing there. The line is long already. They don't even have self-checkout anymore at most CVSs. It's, it's such a wasteland in those stores. So when I'm in line at things like that, I have arguments in my head with people that I don't know. They're not even, not even a specific person. I'm not thinking about Bill Jones, who once tweeted me something about Game of Thrones. They're just made-up people. They don't have faces or names. It's just... It's just words in my head. And never once in my arguments did I see, 
stop to say, hey, why don't you get back to me after the entire series of Game of Thrones has ended and tell me if you still love it as much and if you still think it's the greatest writing in the world and that I'm not a TV writer if I don't get it, blah, 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 blah. So first of all, I'm not on these little fuck sides, people who didn't like it. And again, this is called opinion of a thing I know nothing about. And I don't want to, don't email me. I don't want to know about it. I don't, don't contact me at all. I want to know nothing about it. I want to just have this opinion. So this is my problem is people, people who love sci-fi will always do this to someone who just doesn't have the taste for it. I'll say, you know, the kind of the shows I like are really just more down to earth. They, they take place within the last 20 to 30 years. It's people, you know, I mean, I don't mean to say in America only, of course I, of course I'll watch a foreign film with the subtitles, but, but I, I just like, I like your more, well, I'm not going to say Woody Allen movie anymore, but before I knew all that, you're more conversational, we're neurotic, we're exploring feelings and emotions and relationships and that kind of movie, right? Oh no, that's totally what Game of Thrones is about. It's not. Well, no, I mean, underneath it all, there's relationships. So just take off the weird coats. You don't have to be filming it in the dead of night in New Zealand. And, and, and take off the, uh, everyone put their swords down and then put it in a coffee shop and I'll watch it. And call it Game of Cappuccinos. But until it's that, I'm not, is it, no, but deep down it's about this. We think I'm a fucking fool that just got off the planet or just got off, that's not the expression, uh, just fell off a dump truck or turnip truck. A hayseed? I know ultimately that every story, even if it's about kings and queens and that it comes down to relationships and human connection and your family battles and your mental health, I know that. What I'm saying is I don't like when it's presented that way. It would be like if you brought a bunch of presents. No, it's actually not like this. This is a bad example, but I have to go through that. If you, if you wrapped up a bunch of presents in gold shiny paper and they all, no, this is a good example. Actually, I changed my mind. And they all have the same present in it. And I knew it too. They'd say, Jen, there's a Walkman. I'm a Walkman. I meant to say iPod, but I said Walkman. There's a walk. Oh, forget it. It's a Walkman. I want a Walkman. Jen, there's a Walkman in that present. Every single present under your tree this year is a Walkman. <laughs> what, they're all different colors. One's your waterproof kind with a sort of, you know, rubber around its yellow that's a that's your cassette Walkman, and then the other one is a, is a CD Walkman, and you're gonna love all of them. And I'm like, of course I will. I love, I love carrying giant things as I'm going for a run, or I don't run, but a walk. And someone can wrap it in shiny gold, glittery paper, and then the other Walkman can be wrapped in a paper bag, and I'll say. I'm going to wrap the shiny one first. Even though I know, but it's the same thing inside. Yeah, but I like the packaging on this. Now, you would think that like I would go for the paper bag because I like a more simple thing. So I guess this analogy ultimately blows. And that, you see, is what being a writer is like. You have to throw things out there. You have to try it. It may not go as expected. So the fact that these people that were condescending to me my whole life, I don't get Game of Thrones. I'm not trying to get it. You don't know, blah, blah, blah. Now they hate the last few episodes. 
Now they're angry. And people are like, I actually saw people on Twitter going, well, I think people, the writers should, should consult the audience. Okay, now you've gone off the rails. Now there's no more arts. What do you want the ballerinas and the nutcracker to stop and go, is this okay with anyone? Um, and we're going to do a Twitter poll. If everyone could take out their phones and do hashtag nutcracker, um, there's, a, there's an online poll. Do you want to see more jumps or less jumps? Um, do you like the music? Would you like something more contemporary? I mean, we don't have to do like these kind of Russian jigs. We can do like, would you like, uh, you know, maybe like more of a country song um, or that like rap song that's a country song and Billy Ray's in it. Like, would you like something like that, a scene like that? They're not going to consult the audience. I mean, maybe I don't know anything about the show, but did the wrong person become king? Did the wrong person become queen? I don't know. But I mean, look at life. Look at what we got after President Obama. We got Donald Trump. Do you think any of us wanted that story to go that way? We really need to consult the writers. Who's writing this? Um, It's on a TV show. Are you fucking kidding me? No, this is your real life. Donald Trump is president. Holy shit. I think that you, I just can't imagine. Let's contact the public. Let's see where they want this. Let's not choose your own adventure. So maybe they, I don't know subjectively if they made a mistake. I mean, I think they probably know what they're doing. But if they disappointed you in some way, wouldn't feeling the disappointment be part of the experience of watching the show? The way that people didn't like how The Sopranos ended because you don't know if it's just over quick and their life goes on. Does blackout mean Tony got whacked? What does it mean? But isn't living with that frustration and mystery part of the show? In other words, you don't go, you know who I fucking hate? My grandparents. Why? Well, they made my parents. And... um my parents died of old, of old age in the nursing home. Well, yeah, that's part of life. I mean, you can't blame your grandparents just because they made them. I mean, you knew that part of the story was going to be an ending you don't like. No, I think they should have consulted me. And would you have had them not have your parents? Because then you wouldn't be here. I haven't thought it through that much. All I know is that <clears throat> I need to get everything I want in every facet of life. I mean... Listen, I watched Barry. Well, I thought the, the se- I won't give spoilers, but the season finale was incredible. And at that moment, he acted so crazy that I had to realize I don't like, I mean, I'm not going to hang with Barry. I'm not going to root for him and Sally to stay together. I'm not going to hope that he gets away with stuff. And you realize, oh my God, I've been hoping the most fucked up stuff all along because I'm so sympathetic to Barry. I want him to sort of get away with everything and just as he keeps saying, start over right now. I want him and Sally to work out because he likes her so much and maybe she can forgive all the people he's killed. And then he's so insane in the last episode that I had to be like, oh, I need to reframe how I watch this show. I need to root for different things. I need to want for different things because his behavior has now just changed me and I didn't I I loved it because it was a challenge it was a new experience while I watched the show so now I'll say to you Game of Thrones people I guess you don't really get what it is to be a TV writer 
how can you not understand that that's that's what show, that's what the show's really about is the disappointment of your own life anyway it just made me kind of happy and it, the starbucks cup thing made me happy too i mean the way people were going on about it, I thought literally a character walked on set holding a Starbucks cup. <laughs> it was like in a shot, really quick. If you paused it, you could see it. Now that I'm fascinated with. I want to know if anyone got fired because, you know, a lot of, when you're on set, a lot of times they'll bring you right to your mark and you'll have your cup in your hand while they're, you know, doing what they need to do and you're ready to roll. And then you hand it off to some kind of assistant or something, but on any given set within one foot of what you're looking at are people sitting in this place they call video village. And so if you were to look at the friends set, let's just a show that everyone's probably seen when you're in, uh, well, actually that's a multicam. I don't know. I've never actually worked on what I've only worked on. Okay. Let me give you marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So, you know, if you're looking at the parents kitchen, you know, there's not actually four walls there. Um, and then around the corner, on the set of the house, you're actually backstage on, you know, all these planks of wood, and it's the structure that holds the fake house together that they're in, are six to eight director's chairs. They all have headphones. You put them on and you watch all of the screens that correspond to each different camera. So you watch... You can watch it through any camera and it's called Video Village. And that's where the director goes after she goes, okay, and in this scene, you're going to jump up and down. You're going to go over here. Okay, great. And then you go back to Video Village and you yell rolling and you watch it through the TV. So some people had to be in Video Village and looking at the screen for Game of Thrones and still not see the coffee cup. And, and what I don't get is who was the last person that touched that cup? Was that an actor's cup that somebody's you know, the director or somebody's assistant took and put it down. Was it a set person's cup? Was it old? Was it cold coffee from the day before? Was it, what was it? I'm dying to know. So they would have had to see it on Video Village. They would have had to keep walking by it on set. Then they would have had to been watching in the edit bay going, is that a Starbucks cup? How it didn't get past, like, I don't know who's more in trouble, the original person that left it there or the person who's had the last cut in their hands, but that person's usually high up there. So I don't know if the person who left the cup knows who they are. I mean, this is the kind of mystery that will drive me crazy. There's three things I need to know. Uh, what does Katie Holmes know? What was their marriage? Was it real? Is he gay or is it just a, he doesn't know how to be with people. And so he has to have a contract and a thing and were the secrets about Scientology. I need to know that. I need to know if George Clooney's gay and I need to know what that person, if the person who left the Starbucks cup on set has told anybody or if that's their own private secret and they're living in a hell. That's what I want to know. Oh my God, is this an ad for Caddyshack on MSNBC for some reason? Or I have CNN on. Wait, what's happening? Why is there... Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so I shouldn't watch TV on in the background with my podcast, but you know what I do? I'm at home, got my TV on mute. 
<clears throat> just how it is. So that's what I want to know. Who is that person who left the Starbucks cup there? I rarely have guests on the show. Do you want to come on the show and talk to me about it? Uh, I mean, I'm half kidding. So anyway, sucks to be you, you little cunty magoos who were so rude to everyone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones. Let me put it to, the, to you this way. If, if anyone's familiar with the story of Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it's like all these guys, you know, this guy, I think he went to see Young, as in the, the, the famous psychiatrist, because his doctor was like, this guy can cure you of your alcoholism or whatever they called it. It goes over there, blah, blah. And Young is like, he had this theory that it's kind of a, um, it's not a medical malady as much as it's a spiritual malady. And it's a, it, it's, it's not going to take science to cure this. It's not logical. And I think he wrote a letter to Bill W., the guy who started AA. Uh, and they talked about that. So, but the bottom line is, like, how it all got started is there's one guy in the hospital. You know, basically, they used to just throw you in an institution back then and tie you down. And an alcoholic came to talk to another one. And, and I forget, you know, I'm not in AA, so I forget who's in the beds or whatever. But so, someone, whether I think it was this guy, Dr. Bob or whatever, He's in there, he's in bed, he's in the hospital. Someone comes to talk to him. He's like, oh, not another doctor analyzing me and psychiatrist and that, look, it doesn't work. The guy was like, I drink the way you do. And it immediately softened whoever was in the bed. Let's say it was Dr. Bob, another famous guy from AA. And he's like, listen to me, I've drank like this. Here's my, and he just tells his story. And if you relate, you relate. And then you want, to hear more what that person has to say. And that person doesn't go, here's why you should listen to me. You're going to do what I say and here's my story. He just tells his story and lets the other person sort of come to the water, come to him and go, and then what did you do? And he says, I went around and told other people my story. You know, this is how it works. So that's how I look at recommending things. I tell you, if you, this is if you're in my life, I tell you what I'm excited about. Oh my God, I'm reading this book. I'm so excited about it. Oh, I'm watching this show. I'm so excited about it. I'm not trying to do it so you watch it. I'm doing it because I here's some more information about your friend. You want to get to know me? I love this show. On the off chance you are also enjoying this show, we can talk about it. If the person is like, oh, I'm not into it, I'll, that's when I say, I'm not trying to convince you. I just need to tell you what I love about it. If they're like, great, not for me. I'm like, Awesome literally wouldn't interest me at all to continue telling them what they should do. Because the minute you tell someone what to do, they're just like, no, I don't want, they don't want to, even if you're telling them to do a thing that you know they would love. That's why I never do it. It just doesn't work. And people are specific. I'm reading this book about this particular spy, Virginia, a woman of no importance. I can't tell you how many people keep recommending World War II spy books. I I don't care. I like this story. Because she was single with one leg and child-free and almost, and left this guy at the altar. Like, that's why I'm interested in this story. That's the backdrop through which I keep reading it. Do I like spy stories per se? No. I like this one. So, and then you go, oh, I know a book about a woman with one leg who's single. I go, I only liked it when she's a spy. Just stop recommending things. Everybody just stop recommending things. If you want to recommend things, I think, instead of being one of these cunty magoo 
Game of Thrones people. You have to. What are you talking about? What? I always think you look really dumb too if you don't understand other people's that other people have different interests. Boys always do this. Like, you haven't seen Big Lebowski. I did. I saw it once. I didn't love it. What? I'm like, oh, God. If a woman talked to you that way, you would just dismiss all of her interests anyway. So, like, just stop, everybody. Stop recommending shit to people. It doesn't work. I don't understand why people try to force their point of view on people. Anyway, so... Tough sucks to be you, Game of Thrones people. You brought this on yourself. Hopefully, you'll be able to find a way. But, yes, I was talking to a friend. I was talking to a friend uh, backstage at a show, and I don't know what, I don't know how we got started on this topic, but we were talking about, oh, I know what it was. I was on my friend Jimmy Pardo's Pardcastathon, which is a uh, live 12-hour show that he does. It may even be 24 hours, but he was doing it at this comedy club, Flappers, in Burbank, California. He has a cavalcade of comedians on every 20 minutes. They, were, they raise money for a charity called Smile Train, which fixes um, children in impoverished countries that have Oh, I forget what it is. It's a horrible, 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 disfiguring mouth thing. And they they give them operations with the money that Jimmy raises. So great. Okay, great. Um, I got on stage and the live feed camera started acting weird. And then we were making jokes that it was me and that I have a ghost. You know, kidding around. I left the room and it cleared up. I came back in to watch someone else's set and it started going crazy again. And it, it was just a funny thing during the night that I was somehow creating this bad luck. So I, I did end up leaving because it was late and I wanted to go home anyway. And I was talking with a friend backstage um, and I was saying, you know, I wonder, I was excited by the mystery. I wonder if there are ghosts you know, as you know, we had a ghost on this podcast, which didn't turn out to be a ghost, but um, the get in the machine, you know, what is it? What is energy? What is anything? And he was like, well, I'm an atheist, so I, I can't talk about this stuff. And I was like, do you see how atheism, and, and I don't mean the belief that there is no God, because I basically am an atheist as well, but do you see how the belief in your own atheism is such a snooze magooze? Oh, I can't talk about that. Oh, well, nice talking to you. Been real interesting. You know, this tied, this obsession with being tied to logic as a way to assert intelligence. I don't understand it, you know? Again, if you get an atheist and someone who is spiritual and believes in just something greater than themselves, believes in science, I mean, my religion is the universe and science. It is such a goddamn mystery. It, it just almost seems trite to say I'm an atheist. Yes, I don't believe in the upstairs, downstairs, God, heaven, hell dichotomy. Most people in a modern age don't. That's like thinking from centuries ago. So can we all move on from that stupid? I know there's a lot of religious people that do literally believe that, and that's great. But I find that my atheist friends are never talking to those people. They're talking to people like me who say, 
something changes my energy and saves my fucking life in terms of my, my sanity, my mental health, when I get on my knees and pray in the morning. I don't care if I literally don't believe anything's out there. What is that my business? I mean, that is my favorite line from Annie Hall. When, she, when, the, when the mom takes the Woody Allen as a little boy to the doctor and he has anxiety, she goes, he says the universe is expanding. And the doctor goes, the universe is expanding. Well, that won't happen for millions and millions of years. So let's just relax and enjoy things while we can, huh? And he's like smoking a cigar in the doctor's office. And his mother goes, the universe? What is the universe? Your business. (laughs) I just love it. And that's how I feel. It's all my business and it's all not. I don't have to apply logic or figure out if, if there's a God or not before I can think about fun things. It feels good to my brain. I, I'm really, really intrigued by what in the fuck is out there. Why are we here? You know, my personal belief, why are we here? Why were humans made? I, I think it's an accident. You know, the Big Bang and then the, I, I like can't even begin to understand. How did the first molecule get here? I don't know. It's fucking insane. But what I do know is it's fun to think about. At the end of the day, I think we're all a mistake. And I don't think that that's bad. And I think there's no reason or meaning. And then I think that if I had to give one, it sounds nice to say the reason we're all here is to love each other and to get better. But... I don't think any divine, I mean, it would make more sense to me that a divine power made us with that intention and then just got hands off and was like, they're probably going to fuck it up. But, you know, that makes more sense to me than we come from an accident and we're here to love. If we're here to love, then I feel like something with intention made us. If some, if we're just from the Big Bang, which I think we are, then I, I can't really believe we're here to love. Accident. It, it, you know, it's fun to think about. It's like, well then, but it doesn't bother me to go, none of this matters because I don't take it to an emotional, hysterical, childish place where if none of this matters, then we should be in a free for all and killing everybody or hurting each other. I think none of it matters. We found ourselves here and we're like, we get to make our own meaning. We're, we're not all going to agree on it though. But some people, I would argue that some people that are really religious and I mean by the book, heavens above, hells below, they really need, to them that's logical. It, it's a rule, it makes sense, you follow these rules, you go here, you don't follow these rules, you go there. If your nana was a good person and your uncle was a good person, then they're up and they're in heaven with God and this is what God does and this is what the, that to me, although you might think the details are illogical, that to me is structure and logic. That to me is exactly what atheists have structure and logic. I don't have any of that. I don't want to be boxed in by religion or atheism. So to me, when atheists talk to me, they sound literally the same as a couple of the more religious people I've known in my life. When I get together with other spiritual people and we have to kind of be like, is this a safe space? You know, is anyone going to interrupt us and think we're talking about a man in the sky? I've never had more open-hearted, and yet logical conversations. And so 
I said to my friend backstage at the show, I really hope that if there is a ghost, and I'm like half kidding. I'm like, I really hope it's in the building and it's not attached to me and isn't coming home with me. And he was like, you don't really believe in that stuff, do you? And I said, no, but my imagination runs wild and I do live alone and and I can really cause myself not to sleep, you know? And I'll sleep with the lights on because sometimes I'll just lay there in the dark and I'll challenge myself to open my eyes in the dark. And since I can't really see anything, I'll think, what if there's something I can't see looking at me? Oh my God, it would be so scary to turn on the light and see something looking at me. I think I'll just keep the light on. I mean, it's all psychological. It's just me freaking myself out. But if anyone is a scaredy cat like me, you'll know that in your bones, it feels real like something's in the room staring at you. It's, a, it's an actual emotional and sometimes physical sensation to be scared and to be believing, even if you don't believe it, to be freaking yourself out. And so I just knew my imagination and I was trying to calm down before I left the building. I mean, I wasn't in hysteria. Like I had to physically calm down, like get a nurse, give her some Thorazine. It wasn't that. I just mean I had to soothe myself. So I was talking to my atheist friend. And again, I'm probably an atheist too, but I don't believe in, I don't care what I believe in. I'm not, I don't think it's smart. And I, I, I honestly find atheists more difficult to talk to than religious people. Um, so I, but I learned something interesting. So as I was trying to soothe myself, I will finish that story in a moment. But what I want to talk to you about is our new sponsor. Oh, people. Sexy summertime. People with hair. People with hair who want to remove it. People with hair who want to remove it. How do you do it? Do you shave? If you shave, is it a pain to buy the stuff? How about a razor that comes to you? How about one that has a magnetic thing that you hang it on? How about one that makes you feel smooth? If you want to feel smooth, that is. If you don't, that's your business. But listen, okay. Ladies. Women's razors usually cost up to 15% more than men's. It's called the pink tax. The idea that women should pay more for the same product is outrageous. But introducing Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E, mybilly.com, M-Y-B-I-L-L-E-I-E.com, slash fun. Go there right now and read up about it. Billy, they deliver premium razors direct to you for half the price of what you'd find in a store. And I got their stuff and I loved it. Go to mybilly.com to get their starter kit, including two razor cartridges, a handle, and their magic magnetic holder for the shower. It's really, really great. It works. The razor, you know, I'm very picky about my razors. I am one of these people that loves, (coughs) I love to be super smooth. I'm a shaving fanatic. Makes me feel good. And so I got myself uh, hooked up with Billy's razors. And it takes a lot to turn me away from my old razor, and they turned me away from it. (coughs) 
I'm sorry I'm coughing, Billy's Razors. That's just how it is. But uh, I love it. Whoops. And they're an Allure Magazine Best of Beauty winner, and they're on Nylon's Beauty Hit List. For only $9, you can get four refill blades every one, two, or three months based on how often you shave. Each razor cartridge includes five American-made blades encased in an aloe shave soap for the smoothest shave that's gentle and sensitive skin. And they have more space between each blade to allow shave cream, soap, and hair to pass on by. Free shipping any anyways, always. Skip, adjust, or cancel your subscription anytime. They really did get women's razors right. And to show a little love for our show, go to mybilly.com slash fun. It's a small way you can support me while you're getting the best razor you will ever own for half the price of razors in the store. Free shipping, mybilly.com slash fun. Okay, great. But is your brain smooth? Can't shave your brain. Jen, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, have you gone to therapy yet? I mean, we're like almost done with this year. We're like halfway through the year almost. You really don't want to be looking at at next year going, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I never got help. Take it from me. Things don't necessarily just get easier because you get older. Sometimes you got to break the pattern. And you're like, oh, that pattern started when I was a kid. This is, I don't have to think about this. I'm a grown-up. Well, sometimes we need a little help rewiring ourselves. Um, so let's do this. Let's make a promise that we're at least going to look. Let's just take a look at what's going on at Talkspace. Talkspace.com. And make sure to use code JEN. You're going to get your first week free. And I'll also show your support for this show. So Talkspace.com. T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. It's therapy for how we live today because it's mobile. It's available when you need it and it's affordable. All you need is some kind of, you know, iPhone, Android, or a computer or whatever. iPad, anything you can download an app on. We need someone to talk to. A person who can support us through rough patches. Who is a professional. Talkspace Online Therapy means taking care of your mental health is more affordable and convenient than ever. Simply provide your preferences for therapy. They will match you with one of 4,000 plus therapists the very same day. You can send this therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere, anytime. One session of talk therapy outside of Talkspace, you know, like if you just try to find someone that is in your health insurance group or outside of it, that one can cost about the same amount as a month of Talkspace therapy. And you don't have to wait until your next appointment to speak to your therapist again. You can send them messages anytime and they will get back to you five days a week. Join more than one million people who, fear ha- who feel happier with Talkspace. Finding the right therapist should not be stressful. With their matching process, they just take into account what you want. They Try to find someone whose style and expertise matches your needs. If you want to switch therapists, you can do so anytime, no extra cost. You no longer have to wait for your next appointment to talk about what's on your mind again. Send unlimited messages. You can always schedule a live video session for extra support. Again, you are not alone. Join join us all. 4,000 licensed therapists experienced in addressing 
the challenges that you face. Again, Talkspace.com. Use code Jen. You are going to get your first week free. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So anyway, so I'm talking to my friend. And I say, I, I got to stop thinking about this stuff. I'm going home and going to bed. And I said, what I love about my apartment building is, I mean, yeah, maybe I'll find out like in Poltergeist, the entire thing was built over a burial ground, but I'm the first person that's ever lived in my apartment unit. First and only person. I only have my own ghosts to deal with in here. But we were talking about how if you buy a place or you rent a place, what are those rules for do they have to tell you that someone died there? Uh, I think they do, but they don't have to tell you how or something like that. And I said, yeah, I just don't think I could live somewhere where there had been, you know, like a proper crime scene. I think the energy would freak me out. Now, do I mean that there's literally a ghost going, boo, I was murdered? No. So he goes into this thing of, he read somewhere that, I forget what it was, and it it actually made perfect sense. I'm going to say it not as good. But when there's a crime scene or something really traumatic happens, a bunch of people get shot, there's a robbery, whatever, and they have to clean up, clean out. A lot of times things are done in a shoddy way while the body's still there. So uh, somebody can break a door. Somebody can, I don't know, do something that causes small amounts of structural damage that continue to make noise long after they've removed and cleaned up the scene and then someone new moves in and maybe things are just a little creakier and weird. Oh, I can't, he explained it really well. I'm going to, I'm going to try to look for it really quick because, um, when you live somewhere that was a crime scene, shoddy work. I don't think I'm ever going to, okay. Do you ever wonder what happens to the home? apartments where crime scenes have been committed. Okay. Okay, this girl goes, oh, that's my uncle's job. He redoes houses like this. Oh, never mind. Um, okay. Uh-huh. Huh. No, they, I can't find this thing that he said, but I knew what he was saying. It made sense. Well, this woman goes, when I was 12, we moved into a house where the previous owner had shot himself. My bedroom had a blood stain on the floor that would just not come out and an exit hole outside just above the window where the bullet traveled after it left his head. It was creepy, but the house was very cheap. What? I almost don't believe that woman. Um, Well, anyway, 
So that's my point is that I said, oh, well, that's really interesting. And he goes, yeah, I have to believe that. He goes, I, I, I need to soothe myself with logic because or, or else I'll get really scared if thinking about ghosts. So, so I'm an atheist, so there can't be ghosts. And, I, and that's where I said, wait a minute. So you're kind of saying you soothe yourself with logic. So you've decided to believe in the logic because although it's logic, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. It doesn't mean there aren't ghosts. If there were such a thing as ghosts, uh, both things can be true that the work, uh, the cleanup work is kind of shoddy and it changes the structural thing of the house. And then it seems haunted. And then there also could be ghosts. I'm just saying if we're just blue skying it, dreaming big. And he said, um, no, I have to believe in logic. And I said, but you're believing in not just logic, but you're believing in your own opinion. Like you're believing in a very stuck, static, boxy cement thing, you know, fixed idea. I said, I don't believe in anything. I just go, what if there are ghosts? Holy shit, that's scary. What if there are ghosts? What's the best way to communicate with them? Get rid of them live amongst them, wonder what they are. You know, mine, mine is just being open to the mystery. And in that way, it doesn't scare me as much because the possibilities are so vast. It just gets absurd after a while. And I fall asleep because I go, I I can't figure out energy or the world or what's out there, but I guess it's all around us. I guess it's all around us. And with my friend, if he doesn't believe so he has to go read all these things. Okay, so when you clean up a crime scene, sometimes the floorboards get compromised and then it's wet for a long time and it changes the wood and then no one buys it for a while and so that compromises the house and then there's mold and then there's this and so it has to be that. And I go, but if you must believe in that, then you are unable to have a free-floating conversation like the one I'm having because your his is based in fear. He must believe in the logic because he's too afraid of the other side. So there can never be a fun conversation where he goes, you know, ghosts seem like a fun thing that could happen, but I actually read this article about structural damage and I think it's that. That's totally different than I can't talk about this. I need logic. You're not logical. Bye. And I wasn't mad or anything, but I said, so we both fear ghosts. You, you're, just, you're just saying the way that you soothe yourself is with logic, but... You wouldn't need to soothe yourself if you weren't open to this bizarro possibility. And I'm, I'm open to this bizarro possibility. I can't understand at all how it could be real that there could be ghosts. We're in the same place. I'm just more open to the mystery. I don't go, it can't be true because this and that. Because my brain won't let me shut it down. My brain won't stop mysterying. My brain won't stop wondering and dreaming and making shit up. And so I just don't even fight it anymore. I just let it go. So in that moment, I just thought, what is God? If, you know, if we're talking proper God, man in the sky, what does that have to do with ghosts? I mean, I I think of all this stuff as so separate. Like there's energy. We come from energy. We leave the energy. We turn into something else and we go, I mean, what is, I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand the rigidity with which people who don't choose to worship a God operate. I, to me, it, it sounds just as stupid as I believe in a man in the sky and he is judging me. And then 
um, when I die, I will be with him in this heaven that we can't see, but it's up there somewhere. I mean, that to me sounds just as ridiculous as somebody saying, I don't know. I just feel like the people who talk about God the most are religious people and atheists and people who actually are open to mystery um, never talk about it because I don't know. I don't know. So, I wanted to talk about a new mystery that's happening. This is from the New York Times. Navy pilots are like, we're going to keep talking. I mean, you guys can keep shutting us down, but something's up. So I thought this was kind of cool. Oh, I was going to tell you about my resentment at Dak Shepard. I know this is the dumbest thing. How does it relate to mystery? I heard him on a podcast recently. It might have been Conan O'Brien's podcast. And I know that we've talked about it in the Facebook group on this show. We're, We're all fans of that podcast, or a lot of us are. And he was talking about... Um, he was talking about, uh, toxic masculinity and how he feels in some ways he suffered from it. And, and by the way, men do suffer it. It's not like anyone who participates in the culture of toxic masculinity is automatically a bad person. It's a thing that happens to men and they have to deal with it just like we do and blah, blah, blah. And he sounded really cool. And I always thought he was a really interesting actor. I liked a lot of his movies. I've obviously loved Idiocracy. And then I just got hit with this mini resentment where I was like, he has no idea he did this thing that I really hated and that is really interesting. But I know if I say it, people will tweet about it. It'll become something. I'm not trying to make it a thing. I'm not upset he did nothing wrong. You had to be there. But it's one of those things where we could be, I was relating it when I was thinking about it to, you know who probably doesn't have very nice things to say about me and could really paint a terrible picture of me? My ex-husband, who knew me during some pretty volatile years in my life. Um, And I think he's mad at me for the fact that that we even got married in the first place. I feel like I was leading us in that direction. And then once we were married, I was like, I'm not in love. Bye. And I think, uh, I don't know. I know that we made up later. I know that we, after the divorce, after all the payments were paid, I ran into him at a drunk history premiere party a couple, you know, years after we split up and I was really nervous and he had, a flask on him and he let me have a sip from it and he was like I was like I just thought you hated me he's like no I mean come on we just have to get over this I was like oh good and I said I have a bottle of wine that your grandfather gave you from the year you were born and he's like I thought you just threw that out I was like never I would never do that I just haven't known if I should get in touch with you and he said oh yeah and he gave me his new address and I messengered it to him the next day 
and I emailed him to follow up and he never wrote back. And then I noticed recent, and this was years ago, but, and then I noticed recently he blocked me on Twitter. So I had a second book come out. I ran into him about a year before my second book came out. And in that book, which I know he didn't read, but I bet somebody did and told him, I think it might've been his mother. She would follow and unfollow me on Twitter. I would see it happen all the time. I was like, what is she doing? This is like, I can see you. It was so weird. But in that book, I talked about having like a little bit of like an emotional affair with someone else. And I think, you know, I talked about like right after we split up, I started dating someone. So I think he was just like, Bleh, I hate this. Um, even though I didn't use his real name, but I think he took it really personally. I think he was humiliated. I don't think he ever quite understood the artist thing of, I'm not writing this about you. This is about me. I'm sorry I was married, but it's it's less about you, the man I was married to, and more about like in a marriage, I felt like this, you know? So I don't know. He just, I know he hates me and I know he hangs out with some people that hate me. And I would say these people just think I'm awful, you know? And, and so just like I'm sure in Dak Shepard's life, there's people who are like, he's the most amazing husband and father. And I bet he's cool as shit. And I bet I would probably love working with them as I did once. But there was one time when like an otherwise pretty cool person said this thing that I don't even think he realized was like wrong to say. And it didn't bother me until two years later. That's why I look at say I ran into my husband. He probably didn't even know he hated me when we ran into each other as exes until like two years later. It's just what happened. So I don't want any going around putting this on the internet. He's terrible. He's that. We all have people that think we're the greatest person in the world. And then there's people that think we're the worst person in the world. And that to me is a sort of a mystery as well. It's just our energy is different with every single person. So he guest hosted Chelsea lately one time for one day. And when people would guest host, they would sit at the head of the table in the Chelsea seat, in the writer's room, and they would not really run the writer's room because they wouldn't know how, but our producers would be there. And then they would sit at the top. And a lot of times they, depending on what kind of host they were, if they were really engaged, they would pitch out, oh, let's talk about this, or I want to talk about that. Um, if they were more confused about what to talk about, they would sit there and we would pitch them ideas. The biggest lump a dump was what's her name? The Australian blonde girl. She's on the cover of every magazine and she looks like she couldn't care less about being there. She's just like, looks so bored at all times. I actually want to hug her and give her intense therapy because I feel like the real her is hiding inside of her somewhere and she won't come out. What is her name? Oh, she was just in a movie with Anne Hathaway. It's driving me crazy. Um, Blake, no. And I would say blonde actress. Oh my God, I, I talk about her all the time. What is her name? Australian blonde actress. And she was in that romantic comedy Suck movie. Romantic, oh my God, it's not Blake Life. Ah, I, I, this is, oh my God, Renee Rebel Wilson. She was being pushed on us, like she's the next big thing, and they were right. And she was on Chelsea Lately as a guest host, and she was sitting there like, she looks like she hates everything, but it could be insecurity. I never got a read on her, I could not understand. And we'd go, 
So we, we're going to talk about this, like Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore breaking up or getting together or whatever they were doing. She's like, I didn't really want to talk about them. And we go, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, also, like, we have this politician who's an idiot and her name's Sarah Palin. I don't know if that was it, but, and I go, and she said the other day that um, the American flag is made of candy. And she'll go, I'm not really political. And I was like, okay. Um, and, like, everything we said, she was like, mm. And everything she did, she just has that energy. And I was like, dude, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? And I just don't get it. Like, I'm always like, why are we still trying to make her a thing? Um, I'm sure she's great. But it's like, you know what I mean? You just, you have an experience with someone and you're like, don't get it. That was my thing with Dak Shepard. So I was super excited that he was hosting because I had a little crush on him. Now, he's a married guy. I wasn't like, then we're going to date. I was just like, it's nice to be in a room with someone you have a crush on, you know. And so he was sitting at the top of the table and he was taking it seriously as though he was like the boss. Not in a bad way, but just really being um, respectful of the show. Now, I'm always the person on Chelsea lately who actually was the most research heavy. I always was sending in topics the night before. We would send them to our um, head writer and she would compile them. And in the morning, we would get reports from this research person who would put them, put them all in one packet. And I always thought our research person like didn't always quite get it. So I would just check right before the meeting, um, this one last website and just see if anything broke and I would print it out and bring it in. A lot of times it was just, it was just weird the way the room ran that a lot of times looking at your phone was not always the fastest thing. And then you'd explain it to people. No one would be listening. It'd be better if you just had it on paper. You could go here, look for yourself. So I wasn't late to the meeting, but I wasn't early. I was coming in as it was starting, as I did every day, but everyone knew it's Jen with her 50 papers and she does the most research on the show and she's a fucking good worker. So I come in and everybody had already started going around the room saying their name. So it was like, I'm Steve, I'm Sarah, I'm Chris. And then I sit next to Chris, Frangela, and as he's saying his name, I kind of run in and I'm like, hi. And Dax goes, just hot enough to be late. And everyone was like, ooh, and like giggling and like, oh, he's flirting with you. He thinks you're hot. And it didn't dawn on me until later that like it was such a weird thing to say out loud and just hot enough to be late. Like there was already a rating involved. And it was a funny joke. It was just silly. He was trying to, I think, quickly categorize all of us like, you're the dumb one, you're the slutty one, you're the drinker, you're the businessman, you're the just hot enough to be late and probably thought I was ditzy and didn't realize like that was the opposite of my persona. I was like the hardworking neurotic and so I just didn't like it and I think he misread someone coming in on time slash one minute late as some kind of dis... I don't know, I didn't like it. It's always bothered me. But then later in the day, our bosses were like, oh, my God, let's make fun of this person. They fell down and he was he was really worried. And he came to some of the writers and was like, I, I need to tell those guys that I don't want to be mean to people. And I'm not going to make that joke on TV. I mean, it's just those guys worked really hard in that movie. And I know it was a flop and I don't want to make fun of it. You know, something like that. And we're like, oh, no, you don't have to. But it's weird that like he didn't see that the comment he made to me was kind of hurtful. But I didn't even know it was hurtful. And then every once in a while, I get a weird resentment at him because I think, I don't know. It, it's just a weird thing. Like I can't explain it. 
it was like, it, I think it was during my, you know, when I talked about dating in the, a few episodes ago, I think it was during that where I was like, oh, is that like what a goofy looking motherfucker says to someone who's like a very pretty woman? You know, I can say that about myself, that that that's what I'm up against in this town with men my age is like, they're these goofy half wits and I'm like a nice pretty girl who's late because she's doing hard work and like yeah I'm just gonna be judges this this weird joke he thought he was doing I mean it was fine but it wasn't like I had examples all day of him like constantly busting balls and making jokes so it was like it made it feel more true by the end of the day that he was just saying a mean thing so I didn't love it if I ever ran into him I would completely tell him that story and he'd probably apologize and be like we're fine Uh, I don't need an apology I don't hate him I'd work with him in four seconds. So I hope everybody understands the point of that story. Um, And my dating update is that I don't want to talk about it. Uh, But a friend was like, hey, my friend kind of likes you. I met, I was at my friend's birthday party and and I was like, cool, he can ask me out then. Um, Because I'd hung out with him a little and I was like, we'll just see, you know. And we've been going on some dates for a while. (laughs) But he's younger than me, younger than I meant to ever participate in and I'm a hypocrite um all I will say is he was a teenager on 9-11 okay that's against my rules well Jen which which teenager was he 13 or 19 I'm not saying he's not in his 20s that's all I'll say but I don't know what's going uh I don't want to talk about it I don't like talk about my personal life anymore so I will probably never mention that again until it's, I'll never mention it again unless it's over or, uh, you know, I, I'm having twins. Um, and I'll probably, that's probably where this will go is I'll probably end up having twins. Kidding, kidding you fucks, calm down. Okay, so this is what, oh, this is my favorite quote. So there's this priest. You're like, all right, Jen, you say you're not religious. There's a spiritual priest named Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. I don't believe he's a Catholic priest, Franciscan. I don't even think he believes, like, in all the magic stuff. I think he is just, like, a scholar kind of priest, but I, I adore him. And he's, he's a great, uh, I think, spiritual teacher or whatever. So he says, I see mystery not as something you cannot understand, Rather, it is something that you can endlessly understand. There is no point at which you can say, I got it. Always and forever, mystery gets you. I like that. That's how I feel. So, here we go. I'm going to read this article. about Navy pilots and UFOs. Really quickly before I do, I would just like everybody to know I am on tour. Toronto, I will be in the Just for Laughs Festival. I am there sometime between October 19th and 25th. I don't know. I don't know exactly when my tickets go on sale, but they do this certain thing where you make reservations for the show, and the more reservations that are made, that's they keep adding shows if a lot of people are making reservations for my show so once I know what's going on I will let you know but just know that I'm coming if you join my newsletter just go to jenkirkman.com 
right on the homepage. It shows you how to join and you'll get an email. I am in the Kabu Festival in Del Mar, which I know is San Diego. Uh, everyone in San Diego is like, just call it San Diego. Don't call it Del Mar. I'm like, I'm going to list it the way the festival wants me to per my contract. But thanks for the empire. Because if I see San Diego, people go, are you at the comedy club? No, I'm at the festival in Del Mar. Let's just calm down. It's like when I do Brooklyn, I don't go New York City. I mean, a little bit I do, but mostly it's Brooklyn. And a lot of people that live in New York City aren't going to Brooklyn. And a lot of people that live in San Diego are not going to fucking Del Mar. It's close, but for the locals, it depends on what kind of local you are. You're not going there. So maybe you won't go. Maybe you will. Um, And that festival is really cool. And it's like, you know, it's a totally Gen X festival. And I'll have my own tent where I'm doing a comedy show, but... Individual tickets aren't on sale, but you can buy a pass to the festival. Obviously, that should include you coming to see me. So join my newsletter. There'll be more information about that. London. I am back at the Soho Theater October 21st to 26th. Tickets. It should be lots of new stuff that you didn't see last time. Tickets will go on sale hopefully soon. But for now, again, join my newsletter and you will be the first to know. And then what is on sale right now is... Minneapolis, Nashville, Birmingham, Alabama, and Athens, Georgia. All of those are in August. If you buy tickets in advance and send the proof of purchase to iseemfun at gmail.com, you can blur out anything you need to that's confidential, you will have a download card of my album, Just Keep Living. That's not just what you saw in my Netflix special. There's 17 bonus minutes that I recorded where I take you through which jokes were made up, what was real. It's kind of fun. So that download card, it's value of $10, that will be waiting for you when you check in the night of the show. I'll have an area for download card people to receive their cards. So please do that. It's an incentive for you to get tickets in advance. Minneapolis, Nashville, Minneapolis, August 10th, Nashville, August 15th, Birmingham, Alabama, August 16th, Athens, Georgia, August 17th. I've never played Birmingham or Athens before. I've been to both as a tourist, but never played. I'm really excited. And yes, for the Alabama and Georgia, I will have representatives from different organizations so you can make donations to like a Planned Parenthood type thing. I think I'm going to have registered to vote. I'll just have a little more politically aware show. And then... um, Brooklyn and Boston, 9-11 and September 13th. I need to sell these shows out. My eating and life depends on it. So please do get your tickets as soon as you can. JenKirkman.com for everything. And then hopefully there's a few more straggling cities that we had to reschedule that some of you never even knew I was supposed to go to this year, but we didn't work it out. Hopefully there'll be more stuff coming up in November and December. And also there is a live taping of the I Seem Fun podcast on June 25th, Tuesday at the Hollywood Improv Lab. So that should be fun. And I might do some like listener, live listener advice, which I think could be really cool. So those tickets are on sale now at jenkirkman.com. Wonderful. All right. And also there's new merchandise. I There was an episode where I said, who calls people? And everyone liked it. And so we've got uh, you can get it as a mug or a phone case or a notebook or a sticker or a t-shirt or a hoodie. And it says, who calls people? And if you can uh, go to jenkirkman.com, click shop. That's where you can go find the link to all of my merchandise at our great store um, with the Tee Public people. And I do get a percentage of the merch sales. If you all do not have my books, 
and you live in America, you can buy them on Amazon. And uh, it is, I can barely take care of myself, Tales of a Happy Life Without Kids, and I know what I'm doing another lies I tell myself. Both are a delight. And buying books really helps me get a third book deal. So you can get them on Kindle. You can get them on paperback. Just don't buy them used from another seller or it doesn't go towards my book sales. And once again, if you don't live in the cities where I'm giving away free download cards, if you go to jenkirkman.com and click comedy albums, you can buy my two Netflix specials, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine, and Just Keep Living. You can buy them as digital downloads, you can buy them on iTunes, or you can buy a digital download card that is sent to you and you get a free poster. All of that is available on my website, jenkirkman.com. Click comedy albums. All right. Have I given you enough? And then at the end of this show, I'm going to read some listener reviews um, and tell you how you can participate with everything on social media. So let's read this article. Mysteries indeed. This is from the New York Times from uh, May 27th. Wow, what is that? Navy pilots report unexplained flying objects. Washington. These strange objects, one of them like a spinning top, moving against the wind, appeared almost daily from the summer of 2014 to March 2015, high in the skies over the East Coast. Navy pilots reported to their superiors that the objects had no visible engine or infrared exhaust plumes, but that they could reach 30,000 feet and hypersonic speeds. Quote, these things would have been out there all day, said Lieutenant Ryan Graves, an F-A-18 Super Hornet pilot who has been with the Navy for 10 years and who reported his sightings to the Pentagon and Congress. Quote, keeping an aircraft in the air requires a significant amount of energy. With the speeds we observed, 12 hours in the air is 11 hours longer than we'd expect. End quote. In late 2014, a Super Hornet pilot had a near collision with one of the objects and an official mishap report was filed. Some of the incidents were videotaped, including one taken by a plane's camera in early 2015 that shows an object zooming over the ocean waves as pilots question what they are watching. Wow, what is that, man? One exclaims. Look at it fly. No one in the Defense Department is saying that the objects were extraterrestrial, and experts emphasize that earthly explanations can generally be found for such incidents. Still a mystery, though, isn't it? Lieutenant Graves and four other Navy pilots who said in interviews with the New York Times that they saw the objects in 2014 and 2015 in training maneuvers from Virginia to Florida off the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt make no assertions of their provenance. But the objects have gotten the attention of the Navy, which earlier this year sent out new classified guidance. Ooh, classified guidance. I want in. Want to know what it says for how to report what the military calls unexplained aerial phenomena or unidentified flying objects. Joseph Gratisher, a Navy spokesman, said the new guidance was an update of instructions that went out to the fleet in 2015 after the Roosevelt incidents. There were a number of different reports, he said. Some cases could have been commercial drones, but he said in other cases, we don't know who's doing this. We don't have enough data to track this. 
So the intent of the message to the fleet is to provide updated guidance on reporting measures for suspected intrusions into our airspace. The sightings were reported to the Pentagon's shadowy, little-known Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. I need to be in this group! Which analyzed the radar data, video footage, and accounts provided by senior officers from the Roosevelt. Luis Elizondo, a military intelligence official who ran the program until he resigned in 2017, called the sightings a striking series of incidents. The program, which began in 2007 and was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time, was officially shut down in 2012 when the money dried up, according to the Pentagon. But the Navy recently said it currently investigates military reports of UFOs and Mr. Elizondo and other participants say that the program, parts of it, remain classified it has, though, continued in other forms. The program has also studied video that shows a whitish oval object, described as a giant tic-tac, about the size of a commercial plane, encountered by two Navy fighter jets off the coast of San Diego in 2004. Leon Golub, a senior astrophysicist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, said the possibility of an extraterrestrial cause is so unlikely that it competes with many other low-probability but more mundane explanations. He added that there are so many other possibilities, bugs in the code for the imaging and display systems, what? atmospheric effects and reflections, mm. neurological overload from multiple inputs during high-speed flight. You know what that means. You boys are imagining things. Now get back out there. Those three uh, explanations certainly are mundane, none of them convincing to me. It's all the same shit. Lieutenant Graves still cannot explain what he saw. In the summer of 2014, he and Lieutenant Danny Acoin, another Super Hornet pilot, were part of a squadron, the VFA-11 Red Zippers, out of Naval Air Station Oceana, Virginia. That was training for a deployment to the Persian Gulf. Lieutenants Graves and Acoin spoke on the record to the Times about the objects. Three other pilots in the squadron also spoke to the Times about the objects, but they declined to be named. Lieutenant Graves and Acoin, along with former American intelligence officials, appear in a six-part History Channel series, Unidentified, Inside America's U UFO Investigation, which will air beginning on Friday. The Times conducted separate interviews with key participants. The pilots began noticing the objects after their 1980s-era radar was upgraded to a more advanced system. As one fighter jet after another got the new radar, pilots began picking up the objects but ignoring what they thought were false radar tracks. See, that explains... They're like, no, you dumb fuck. The, the, the mundane ex explanations are like, oh, it could be a glitch. It's like, no, actually, we're seeing it because the software is better and we already put aside false radar stuff. So we're telling you the stuff that is not just some false thing, but it can't be explained. People have seen strange stuff in military aircraft for decades, Lieutenant Graves said. We're doing this very complex mission to go from 30,000 feet diving down. It would be a pretty big deal to have something up there. But he said the objects persisted, showing up at 30,000 feet, 20,000 feet, even sea level. They could accelerate, they could slow down, and they could hit hypersonic speeds. 
Lieutenant Acoyne said he interacted twice with the objects. The first time, after picking up the object on his radar, he set his plane to merge with it, flying a thousand feet below it. He said he should have been able to see it with his helmet camera, but could not, even though his radar told him it was there. A few days later, Lieutenant Acoyne said a training missile on his jet locked on the object and his infrared camera picked it up as well. Quote, I knew I had it. I knew it was not a false hit, but still I could not pick it up visually. At this point, pilots said they speculated that the objects were part of some classified and extremely advanced drone program. Now that I believe. But then the pilots began seeing the objects. In late 2014, Lieutenant Graves said, He was back at base in Virginia Beach when he encountered a squadron mate just back from a mission with a look of shock on his face. He was stunned to hear the pilot's words, I almost hit one of those things. The pilot and his wingman were flying in tandem about 100 feet apart over the Atlantic east of Virginia Beach when something flew between them right past the cockpit. It looked to the pilot, Lieutenant Graves said, like a sphere encasing a cube. The incident so spooked the squadron that an aviation flight safety report was filled, filed. The near miss he and other pilots interviewed said angered the squadron and convinced them that the objects were not part of a classified drone program. Government officials would know fighter pilots were training in the area, they reasoned, and they would not send drones to get in the way. Quote, it turned from a potentially classified drone program to a safety issue, Lieutenant Graves said. It was going to be a matter of time before someone had a mid-air collision. What was strange, the pilot said, was that the video showed objects accelerating to hypersonic speed, making sudden stops and instantaneous terms, something beyond the physical limits of a human crew. Speed doesn't kill you, Lieutenant Graves said. Stopping does, or acceleration. Asked what they thought the objects were, the pilots refused to speculate. We have helicopters that can hover, Graves said. We have aircraft that can fly at 30,000 feet and right at the surface. But combine all that in one vehicle of some type with no jet engine and no exhaust plume? Lieutenant Acoyne said, we're here to do a job with excellence, not make up myths. Oh, what do they say, though, when they're not on record, when they're just hanging out having a beer? Oh, let me in. In March 2015, the Roosevelt left the coast of Florida and headed to the Persian Gulf as part of the American-led mission fighting the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. The same pilots who were interacting with the strange objects off the East Coast were soon doing bombing missions over Iraq and Syria. The incidents tapered off after they left the United States, the pilots said. You mean other people didn't have these incidents? I don't understand. Um, So there you go. What do you think about that? You can weigh in. On the I Seem Fun closed group. Oh, yeah. So here's how you're going to get into all that stuff. If you go to facebook.com slash slash having funless pod, right there in the bio, it will give you a link to join the closed Facebook group. If you go to Twitter at having twitter.com slash having funless pod or at having funless pod on Twitter, in the bio, it will also take you to the closed Facebook group. So you can join it and you can weigh in and you can say what you think these things are. I would love to hear. Now, I love reading the comments that people write. 
This is from Patrice. Once I saw a wolf in the apse three meters away. Another time in the same area, I saw one 500 feet away on a snowfield in reduced visibility. It disappeared as I approached while hiding, or so I thought. A few weeks later, carefully in the same place, I realized, to my shame, that I'd been the victim of an optical illusion caused by a very unlikely combination of factors. I am a trained physicist. What appears is not often what is. We see with our brains, thus sometimes we see the brain, not the landscape. Okay. Also, by the way, and I don't mean to sound like conspiracy theorists, but if aliens have gotten into our airspace, I feel like that would be a pretty big, in quotes, failure of our airspace people to protect us. And maybe they don't want to ever admit this because it would maybe scare people. But I wouldn't fault you for not being able to protect us from uh, objects and machines you don't understand but uh, maybe not everyone's as forgiving as me but see when I start talking that way it sounds like anti-American they don't know what they're doing propaganda that I probably learned somewhere from some kind of Russian thing you know what I'm saying um here's another physicist I am a physicist Two things to remember. It is very difficult to visually judge the distance of an object in the sky and thus estimate its size, speed, and acceleration. A drone 400 yards away flying at 40 miles per hour and doing simple air tricks will look exactly like a large aircraft 20 miles away flying 3,500 miles per hour and doing unearthly accelerations. Fighter pilots see their surroundings through at least two layers of transparent material, including the aircraft canopy, plexiglass, and their flight helmet visor, polybicarbonate. Some also have direct camera feeds projected into their visors. Multiple glares and internal reflections of a bright source like the sun can create the illusion of small moving lights in the distance. It could be something else, too. Oh, thanks for that in-depth guess. All I'm saying is that's possible to come up with many natural explanations. I can think of several more. He doesn't list them. Although I agree with everything you just said, like that kind of makes sense. Sarah says, my friend and I saw one over Lieutenant's Island on Cape Cod one night in the late 1970s. Who are these people that have all this time to read these com- write these comments? We were in eighth grade and walking back from the bridge after dinner when a large V-shaped object suddenly appeared in the sky. It hovered over the marsh without so much as a flicker. Its light was different, bright, and somehow compact. Then, in a flash, it was gone, soundlessly. We went screaming back to the house where my mother suggested we call the airport. They said they'd had no reports. The military used to bomb the old battleship in the bay for target practice, so that was the explanation that got us to sleep that night, though my friend and I never believed it. I saw a UFO in 1975 near Portland, Oregon. It was hovering over a field to my right, about 20 feet off the ground. As we slowed our car to gawk, it took off like a shot to the south over I-5 towards Salem and was gone from sight in seconds. I reported it to the police, who referred me to the National Guard. When I called them, they thanked me politely, and that was that. Once you have seen one, your paradigm has changed forever. This guy says, There are many things in the universe that the human mind does not understand and may not even be able to comprehend. Skepticism is good. Hubris is not. I like that. All right. Everybody, thank you for listening to Having Funlessness. 
I will ask you to please go to iTunes and give this podcast five stars and rate it. And I will maybe read your review on an upcoming episode. But reviews and stars actually do help make the podcast more popular. So I'm going to start taking that more seriously. So we're going to end the podcast with a review of my podcast. Now, let me see if I can even find it. I don't even know if I can even find my own podcast on iTunes. Is that sad? Show in iTunes store. Oh, I'm so smart. I'm so smart. God, the art still hasn't changed, but they submitted it a long time ago. There's all kinds of issues going on. There's all kinds of issues going on. I love when you guys read the reviews. I left groceries in someone else's kitchen. Somebody wrote, I don't want to share a hammock with a child. Okay, now I need you to give more accurate ones. This is from, I don't know who, five stars. Jen is quite frankly a relief. She's hilarious, smart, and honest. I get mad when people interrupt my listening pleasure, especially when Jen is telling a story. Her insights make my soul feel understood. Love you, Jen. Oh, someone doesn't like it. Slowly declining. Yeah, you know, I've got my, I've got my times when it comes and goes. Was the first podcast I've ever listened to. I've heard every single episode. Loved the rants, the raves, and everything in between. However, slowly starting to decline for me. It makes me annoyed to listen to when it's so much complaining and praising Gen X. I don't think it's, I don't think I've overly praised Gen X. It's just sort of a little phase I'm working through in my artistic endeavor where I'm talking about it and trying to figure out the best way to uh, get the message across about what I think is kind of an interesting phenomenon about my generation getting older. Um, and the complaining is sort of what the point of the podcast was. Um, and I get how we can praise our own generations more than others for nostalgic reasons, but ugh. Also, I can't stand certain noises and her swallowing is like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, I do swallow sometimes. It's kind of a bodily function. Um, must have changed mics or something because I've never heard it so loud and noticeable. Lastly, changing the name of the podcast soon, which means my merch with I Seem Fun on it makes zero sense. I wouldn't say that. Um, having funlessness, I Seem Fun... Like, I seem fun, I thought of, if you have that shirt, it, it's exactly the attitude of the podcast. Like, I seem fun, but I'm not. And people go, what's that from? And go, oh, I seem fun is a uh, catchphrase from this podcast I listen to called Having Funlessness. It all still works. I think we don't need to give me a bad review on iTunes for that. But, hey, I'm glad you waited all this time to tell me it's declining slowly instead of ever writing a positive review. Cool. That's how you do that's how you do. Um, garbage, Michael Patrick Rogers. This podcast is nothing but Trump hysteria, advertising and begging for people to come to her shows, dead air and mail bashing. Just Jen must be one miserable person to hate white men so much. You owe me. You owe me 50 bucks. I paid nothing to listen to you. Personality fee was the episode. And yet it's so bad. Your podcast is so bad that I feel cheated somehow. 50 seemed like a nice round number. Your thoughts? Um, January 20th. If you want to listen to a nagging, slurring mess, welcome. I literally don't know why I slur sometimes. I have never recorded the podcast while drinking. Um, then there's someone else. Uh... 
I drive back and forth from San Diego to Los Angeles a few times a week, and this podcast has made the drive something I actually kind of look forward to versus a ride I dread, which is how I felt about it prior to finding Jen's genius. The trip flies by when I listen to Jen the whole way. It's actually amazing because no other podcast has been such a distraction. Mental distraction, not a driving distraction. I had just discovered the podcast recently, so... I have a lot to look forward to. I was really into depressing and sad podcasts about murders and unsolved crimes, which, although interesting to me, tend to be a bit of a downer after 15 hours of listening. This podcast makes me laugh and helps assure me that I'm not a horrible person. Jen's ideas and beliefs are similar to mine and helps knowing I'm not alone in my belief. Great. Well, here's the deal. I have a lot of one stars lately with a lot of angry people. And I have a lot of five stars. So if the angry people made you angry, go in there and write an honest review. And give it five stars, and I'll read it on the podcast. Until next week, have fun.